Libora Ece, Latin for Behold, Lipa, a Hierophant. Hello everyone and welcome to Tarot Esoterica episode 13. My name is Laurel Stewart and I'm branded online as the Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode is some commentary on Chapter 5, The Pentagram, of the new translation of Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic by Elephas Levi and what Levi had to say about the Hierophant as part of the Major Arcana later in the book. A pentagram is a five-pointed star. The word is Greek in origin, with the prefix penta meaning five, and the suffix gram in this context meaning line. So pentagrams are five-pointed stars, hexagrams are six-pointed stars, and so on. Levi begins the chapter by saying, Pentagram expresses the domination of the mind over the elements, and it is by this symbol that we enchain the demons of air, the spirits of fire, the specter of water, and the ghosts of the earth. It's common in Western occultism to see pentagrams drawn as part of pentacles to represent five roots. Spirit plus the classical elements of air, fire, water, earth. A pentacle does not have to include a pentagram to be a pentacle, however. Spirit means a lot of different things to a lot of people, so I offer no exclusive definition or interpretation of that word. Levi has been teaching in this book that from the monad there came the two polar concept forces, which I refer to most commonly as yang and yin. Yang and yin in turn create a unifying third concept force, which creates the trinary principle of cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Then the trinary principle creates the quaternary of the tetragrammaton, the four elements. Picture manifestation beginning as a seed, then dividing itself into two, then three, then four, each having a divergent but equally valuable piece of the whole. And now manifestation is dividing itself one more time so that the fifth and perhaps governing supernal concept force comes to bind the rest into harmony. In that quote above about air demons, fire spirits, water specters, and earth ghosts, Levi is using his imagination to create thought forms for those sylphs, salamanders, undines, and gnomes as mentioned in chapter 4. But we could just as easily substitute in the Jungian functions of thinking, intuition, feeling, and sensation. We could talk about psyche instead of spirit as the fifth element, then those four Jungian functions instead of the tetragrammaton or spirit beings, and still be having the same fundamental conversation using a different set of images. This is a personal truth, that a Jungian-inspired pentagram built around his language and concepts, or one of Levi's drawings of a pentagram built around his language and concepts, are both just as effective in magic or decay. Your personal magical practice just needs to be based on and reinforce your beliefs. As a tarot reader, decks for you will be decks with imagery that is based on and reinforces your beliefs. Levi says that spiritual and corporeal are words which 
only express the degrees or density of the substance. What we call our imagination is simply the inherent property of our soul to assimilate images and reflections contained in the living light, which is the greater magnetic agent. The man of genius differs from the dreamer and the madman, only that his creations are analogous to the truth, whereas those of dreamers and madmen are lost reflections and misplaced images. So, it is another personal truth of mine rooted in modern theories about cognitive processes, that when it comes to everything based in thinking, intuition, and feeling, there are very few universally applicable truths outside of very basic physical science. So when Levi says that we can really and truly see demons, souls, anything that could be called a spirit or an egregore, or thought form, or guided visualization, and then tries to break people into adepts who see them correctly, and the vulgar masses who only see distortion, I disagree. What I would say instead is that a happy, healthy person with a strong imagination and esoteric or mystical education can intentionally create wise thought forms and communicate productively with them. They can visualize auras, they can channel energy through chakras, or be successful in any other metaphysical system that they believe in and consistently work with. By contrast, a person with a damaged, fearful psyche with a strong imagination and esoteric or mystical education will create demons and monsters that are just as real, perceive them in themselves or in other people, and there can be really tragic consequences from how they act react from there. There is nothing more dangerous than a hate-filled, fear-filled, true believer because their imagination warps their reality and then confirmation bias makes everything they experience confirm to their own hate-based, fear-based beliefs. Levi phrases this as that which contributes to the most of the errors of the vulgar and to the extravagance of folly are people's depraved reflections of the imagination. He mentions Emanuel Swedenberg as an example of a seer adept who still has some flaws to work through to have clear vision. I think living human means that we will always have some flaws to work through to have a clear vision. I would put Emanuel Swedenberg as one of my favorite Christian mystic philosophers and highly recommend anyone interested in spiritual philosophy to read some of his work. I think Emanuel Swedenberg is an excellent example of a positive, happy, healthy person creating things that do good unto the world. And I'm simply going to say that if you want an example of a damaged, fearful psyche creating demons and monsters and putting them into the world, you only need to take a look at QAnon. I'm drifting off topic, though. Levi continues to talk about visions, dreams, hallucinations, magnetic synamulism, and ecstatic experiences this chapter. Most of it is outside the scope of this podcast series. There's definitely a lot of resources online from a myriad of perspectives about visions versus dreams versus hallucinations, but I'm going to take one line from Levi, which says, Untangling the direct ray and separating it from reflection, that is the work of the initiate. I think direct rays and reflections and learning how to separate them is a great metaphor for all forms of psychoteric self-development work and making your life and your tarot work focus on becoming a happier, healthier person step by step. 
the primordial light, the vehicle for all ideas, is the mother of all the forms and transmits them from emanation to emanation. They are only weakened or altered because of the density of the environs. Levi goes on to say later in the chapter, and that the great magical agent, the divine life force, it is saturated with images or reflections which are always present in us. And this feels to me very much the concept that Jung later describes as archetypes. And then he brings up hypnotism and self-hypnotism, linking it all the way back to Polyonus of Tiana, who was a celebrated Greek Neopythagorean philosopher from the first century CE. Polyonus is worth reading about. Levi then describes self-hypnosis as the empire of will over the astral light, which can be symbolized in the magic of the pentagram. Levi very much corresponds self-hypnosis with what happens inside the human psyche during rites of ceremonial magic as the same phenomenon using different approaches. I definitely believe this to be true as well. Levi talks at length about acts of ceremonial magic and how why pentagrams are an ideal symbol for evoking and controlling created spirits. He states that his drawing of a pentagram for this purpose is even more complete and effective than those old grimoires like the Keys of Solomon or Tycho Brahe's extensive tables of Renaissance cult symbols called the Magical Calendar. It would take an entire podcast to go through the symbology and concepts thrown into Levi's drawing of a pentagram in this chapter. I don't plan to do that, but I might at some point in the near future write an article on it and throw it up on my website, thelaracular.com. So, I call myself a theoretical versus ceremonial magician and a lazy ritualist. Speaking from a lazy person's bias, learning self-hypnosis is so much easier than what it takes to do ceremonial magic rites, and it produces better, faster results. It is, to use Levi's own language, a more direct ray with a lot less reflection to sort through. Levi ends the chapter with a mention of Paracelsus, the Swiss physician and alchemist. Levi proclaims him the greatest of all adepts that had ever lived. Paracelsus put great value in working with the Seal of Solomon hexagram and the Spirit plus Four element pentagram. Getting back into using alchemical metaphors, Levi says that the pentagram is the most perfect alembic to both symbolize and create quintessence, another name for the magical agent or divine life force. Alembic is an alchemical apparatus used for distilling. Levi has a lot more to say about the Hierophant than any of the pre previous major arcana. In chapter 7, The Flaming Sword, Levi describes the Hierophant as crowned with a tiara made of three diadems, holding a cross with three tiers, forming the magic triangle and representing both the scepter and the key to the three worlds. Worth presents the Hierophant in this manner in his tarot. In chapter 12, The Great Work, Levi says that the Hierophant is the adept or the abstractor, the analyst of quintessence, and that in chapter 17, that the Pope or Hierophant as the fifth key of wisdom is auspicious, associated with the birth of Abel. 
Levi associates the fifth Hebrew letter, He, with indication, demonstration, teaching, laws, symbolism, philosophy, and religion. All of these ideas then get applied to the hierophant by him. Levi did not like the image of the Pope for this major arcana card, though. He mentions that the image of the Pope had been replaced by the image of Jupiter in what were modern tarot decks when the 1850s were modern. I think Levi was exaggerating a little, but in the esoteric tarot tradition, born from his insights. Rather than a pope, we have the hereft. In the Greek Eleusinian Mysteries, the high priest was the Hierophantines, or the Hierophant. He describes his vision for the card image as the grand Hierophant sitting between the two columns of Hermes and Solomon, which makes for the sign of the esotericism. Leans on cross with three cross beams in a triangle form. Before him, two subordinate ministers are kneeling in such a manner that above him he has the capitals of the two columns and below him the heads of the ministers that he is in the center of the quinary and represents the divine pentagram of which he provides the complete meaning it's interesting that in chapter 4, Levi uses the phrase quaternary to talk about the tetragrammaton and other esoteric forces all over the place. But the concept of esoteric fiveisms, the quinary principle, only shows up once, and it's here in chapter 12 about the Hereft. Levi describes creating a box by drawing a horizontal line between the tops of the two columns and a horizontal line between the two subordinates' heads and then a vertical line from each column top to the head below it. The Hierophant's head should then appear in the middle of the square and making angled lines from the top of each column to the head of the opposite bottom, making four triangles within the card to be another way to represent the four elements having this fifth core element known as spirit and manifested as the hierophant. And you'll notice that I use hierophant and hierophant interchangeably. That's just a particular flaw of mine. Sorry. Even later in the book, while discussing Apollonius of Tiana's complex Nehemarin ritual, Levi talks about using our own inner hierophant to tame our inner demons during the start of the twelfth hour in ways that relate to everything he's talking about in this chapter about the pentagram as a tool to tame created spirits and self-hypnosis as a way to reprogram our psyche. He explains it all in beautiful poetry. Lightning obeys man. It becomes the vehicle of his will, the instrument of his force, the light of his torches, the oaks of the sacred forests which render oracles. The metals are transformed and change into gold or become talismans. The rocks are detached from their base and carried away by the lyre of the Grand Hierophant. Touch upon the mysterious Shamir. They change into temples and palaces. The doctrines are formulated. The symbols represented by the pentacles become effective. The spirits are exchanged by powerful sympathies and they obey the laws of family and friendship. The lyre as a musical instrument has a lot of metaphorical and spiritual symbolism with its associations as a tool of creative forces for Apollo and Hermes. This is big for the occultism Levi's generation. 
Shamir is a mythical green stone or blood of a serpent from the myth of King Solomon to create the first temple in Jerusalem rather than mundane tools. In all of this, Levi is providing a vision of the human potential to complete the internal great work and thereafter as the hierophant to create external change for the good. And so on that note, this episode of Tarot Esoterica is coming to a conclusion. If you really like this podcast series, please let me know and spread that craze on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write and post on my website, theloracular.com, is free to read and even borrow as long as you attribute me as the original author. I am part of two tarot forum communities, The Cult of Tarot and Tarot Tea and Me. I highly recommend visiting and doing your own tarot discussions there. You can also catch me on Twitter at Tealoracular, but be warned. On Twitter, I get opinionated, goofy, and unapologetically political. Until next time, embrace the laws of family and friendship with everyone around you capable of doing the same. May the world do good unto you, and may you do good unto the world. 